0: Music makes me want to dance, huh? You guys dancing at Bolingbroke? Merry Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas to those at 95th Street, all of you at Hobson. Hey, can I show you a picture of my great grandparents? This is uh, Soren Sorensen, who was a, a captain of a ship back in the day, it was a great captain known for going back and forth over the great Atlantic Ocean many times, high adventures at sea. I sometimes wonder if his blood isn't pulsating through my veins, because I love the ocean. And I love boating on the ocean. In fact, when I go to Florida on vacation, my favorite thing to do is to rent a boat, And I captain that vessel. And I love standing behind the wheel and being out and seeing the rise and fall of the bow and feeling the splash of the salt water in my face and the wind in my hair and the, the sparkle of the sun on the water and navigating with compass and map. Before you get too impressed, I should tell you a little more about our boat rental. My yacht is actually a pontoon boat with a square of astroturf. Uh, you've seen those before? It's just like a little pudding green floating on the water. And a little teeny motor, and I've never left the harbor. <laughs> I'm to, to be exact, it's a natural harbor. They call it a waterway. There are these barrier islands that are long, and they leave a narrow strip of water between the islands and the shore. And it's about as rough as your bathtub water. It is safe. And you say, you've never left it? Never once. I've looked at the ocean. I've come up to it between the break in the islands, and I've stared out at the real ocean, and I see the endless horizon and the big waves, and I always turn around and come back into my little harbor and chug, 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 and that's it. Probably will never get a reputation as a great sea captain staying in the harbor, will I? To have a reputation of being a great sea captain like my great-grandfather, Soren, you've got to go outside of the harbor. Now, I never will leave the literal harbor because I don't want to die. But uh, (laughs) when it comes to life, Jesus is calling me to leave my comfort zone. Jesus is calling me to sail out on great adventures and following him. And Jesus is calling you to do the same. And friends, if you are committed to stay in your comfort zone, you are guaranteed a life of mediocrity. If you want your life to be great in the eyes of God, if you want to accomplish great things for the Lord and to experience the beauty of his adventure for you, it will require courage. Courage is what we're here to study. This prerequisite to leaving the comfort zone and to go into the high waters of risk in obedience to the prompting and the leadership of the Lord in our lives. And Joseph, the man we're studying in this series, No Ordinary Joe, Joseph was a man of courage. Shall we learn? I want to read out of Luke chapter 2, verse 1. If you're inclined to read along, you'll find it on page 1026 in the Bible in the seatback 1026. This is probably the most well-recognized Christmas passage of Scripture. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, specifically to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Folks, it's this last verse, verse 5, that I think conveys an adventure of courage. Going to Bethlehem was demanding of courage specifically because Joseph went with his pregnant wife, all right? Now, I have to actually deal with the discrepancy. I just said wife, and this passage says that they were pledged to be married. That would be like fiancé instead. And, and it's a little confusing here because when we had studied in Matthew, we, we heard that the angel called Joseph to marry the girl in a dream and that Joseph woke up and married the girl. So are they married or are they engaged at the time of the birth of Jesus? Luke says engaged, Matthew says married. Well, here's the answer. The answer is, well, both. It's complicated. It's a very unique marriage. Legally... They are fully wed. Physically, they have not consummated their marriage. And in that ancient culture, uh, expressing sexual intimacy was an essential part of being fully married. And so Luke is trying to bring out the fact that they have not consummated their marriage and that Jesus will be born of a virgin. Matthew was trying to show the obedience of Joseph and the fact that he went ahead and legally uh, got married. And so, uh, there's the resolution to that tension. They have a very unique relationship, legally married, not physically wed as of yet. All right. So what makes the presence of this pregnant woman who's nearing the time of delivery, you know, eight, nine months uh, long in her pregnancy, why does that make this adventure so dangerous? I'll tell you why. First of all, the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem would be 90 miles, all right, 90 miles walking, 90 miles walking on a dirt path that had the danger of wild animals. Not today, Those, these animals are no longer in Israel, but back then, there were man-eating lions in the area, there were bears in the area, there were wild boars that would attack people in the area. And so the animals made it very dangerous. But more than the animals, people, bandits, robbers. Do you remember in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus talks about a traveler who was mugged and beat up and robbed. Jesus used that story because this kind of thing was frequent in the land. And so uh, dealing with getting mugged was a real threat. Now, how did the ancient traveler protect themselves from animal and bandit? By traveling in caravan. You know, they'd find a bunch of people heading in the same direction, and they'd say, hey, how about we all walk together? And there was strength and protection in numbers. Well, caravans were documented in the ancient world uh, documentation that they went 20 miles a day. They were aggressive in getting to their destination. And there's no way that a pregnant lady could keep up with 20 miles a day. Uh, You may have heard of history speculation that she rode on a donkey and that would have helped. But still, more rests would be required for a woman who's late in term. And so, though they would have tried to follow a caravan when they were able, inevitably the need for a rest would have required them to let the caravan go. And Joseph and Mary would be alone much of their journey. Ten days it would have taken them. Young Teenagers, you know, he was in his late teens, she, her early teens. In the darkness, day after night, walking the trail, looking out for beast and villain. And that takes courage. I imagine as they're in their most scary moments, Joseph had thoughts like, why did this happen? Why did Caesar Augustus mandate a census requiring me to go to my city of origin at precisely the moment that my wife is giving birth? This is awful timing. What bad luck. Do we look at it that way? No. We celebrate it and say, no, this is the beautiful sovereignty of God. We're reminded in Matthew of a prophecy found in Micah that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so for us, we say, no, God led Caesar Augustus to issue the census at this precise time, Which leaves us with another dilemma. Why in the world would God line up this horrifically scary adventure? I'll tell you why. God isn't nearly as devoted to your comfort and safety as you are. God's never been real fond for the harbor and just kind of chugging around in our comfort zone. God has this strange propensity revealed in Scripture and my own life, and maybe yours as well. God loves sending his people out into the land of risk, into the land of fear, the land that demands courage. In fact, let's put this point down. God's plan will require courage. Now, if you're not interested in God's plan, if you're like, no, no, I'll, I'll write my own story get out, Lord. Well, then you can stay in the comfort zone your whole life. But if you want to hand the pen to the Lord and say, write my story. I want you to be my Lord. I'll go where you call me to go and say what you tell me to say and do what you tell me to do. Then his plan, just warning you, is going to demand great courage of you. In fact, if we think about the various scenarios or environments of life where following the Lord demands courage, here, here, let me give you some. First environment that comes to mind is our home, our house. In your house, maybe you have a marriage that's crumbling. Friends, to fight for your marriage demands courage. Raising children demands more courage than anyone told me before I signed up for the gig. Maybe God's calling you to adopt like my wife and I. That demands courage. Maybe he's calling you to foster or be a step-parent or parent a special needs child or a a strong-willed child or just raise any child. It's going to demand courage of you. You can have the mentality of let's just make it till they're 18 and kick them out, you know. Or you could have the mentality of let's make the most of every minute, let's disciple these kids to know Christ, and that fight will require courage. What's next? Neighborhood. What I have in mind when I think of courage in your neighborhood is your calling to be an ambassador of Jesus, a representative of him to people who don't know him. Do you realize that God loves your neighbors? And I would add co-workers and family members who are far from the Lord. He loves them, And he longs to reach them with the forgiving grace of Christ and you're his solution. And when it comes to evangelism, that's what we're talking about, I've never seen an evangelist who wasn't courageous. To reach out relationally and prioritize those relationships to bring them into your home for dinner, that takes courage. To broach the topic, to speak conversationally about spiritual matters and your love for God that takes courage. If you don't have courage, you will never be used to lead someone to Jesus. If you want that joy and that privilege of helping someone discover life eternal with Christ, it's going to demand courage. Uh, What's next? Uh, Work. There will be problems at work that demand courage for you to step into that building. There will be conflict, relational conflict, where you just feel the turning of your gut as you dread having to encounter that person. God's calling you to love your enemy. That takes courage. School. Uh, I remember just freaking out as a young kid, anxiety-ridden about going to school because there are bullies and social pressures and academic challenges. And for you kids to just charge into that building it's going to take courage church you say no, oh, we're a friendly place you don't need courage to come here well maybe not to attend but i'm thinking of you at the 95th street campus in bowling or here perhaps if you want to get involved as god calls all of us to serve getting involved in serving is going to demand courage you know you're like i'll serve with the preschoolers, God help me, you know, that's going to be courage. I'll be a small group leader. I remember the first time I volunteered to be a small group leader. My heart was pounding with anxiety as I feared that role. Stepping into God's calling of ministry at our church will require courage. How how about, what's next? The, The doctor's office, the hospital. Many of you are being asked by God to walk a valley of of a medical challenge or a loved one of medical challenge, that's scary. And to do it well is going to require courage. So would you agree with me? Go to the next slide, thanks. God's plan will require courage. If you want to live following the Lord and live it well in each of these environments, we need courage and lots of it. So let's continue to learn uh, about Joseph and this thing called courage. Well, verse six, while they, Joseph and Mary, were there, at Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And you're like, well, no, no, it's supposed to say there was no room for them in the inn. Guest room, what's this guest room business? You're messing with my Christmas tradition here. You're right, the old versions, including the old NIV, said no room in the inn. Well, this new NIV translation is actually more accurate. They didn't have holiday inns in Bethlehem at the time. What they had was people who would open a guest room to travelers. And so this would have been what Joseph sought to secure for his pregnant wife. And failed to secure. Let me show you a picture of the manger. We see the manger and we just have all kinds of warm fuzzies. Oh, I love the manger. I love that Jesus was placed in a manger. How adorable. To Joseph, this is pure embarrassment. He's the husband who's supposed to secure adequate housing for his pregnant wife, and he failed. He knocked on every door, he did his very best, and he couldn't, so he ended up seeing his bride give birth laying in the dirt. He ended up seeing his baby, more than that, the Messiah, placed in an animal feeding trough, disgusting, and this image that to us we cherish and celebrate and put them up in our houses with nativity scenes and around town, Joseph is like, oh boy, everybody is thinking about the fact that I'm the bum who couldn't get my wife a decent roof over her head to deliver a child. Well, what's the principle? Let's go to the next slide. Thank you. Courage requires willingness to fail. Joseph had risked it all. He's like, all right, Lord, I'll leave the security of Nazareth, and I will go on this wild journey to Bethlehem with my pregnant wife. But you know, there's a lot of Variables, and sure enough, a variable bit him and he failed to get. But here's what I would tell you if you're going to be in the courage business, you got to be willing to fail. If you say, I can never fail, okay, well then stay in the harbor, your comfort zone. Because if you leave the comfort zone, living the harbor, and you go off to the seas of risk, you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. And those who are courageous need to be okay with failure. I think of my adventures in church planting. Church planting is when you you help start new churches. And when I was a college student, I was invited to leave my well-established church and to join a ragtag group of people who were starting a church in Carroll Stream. And uh, I had heard the risk of church planting. Do you know they say that majority of church plants fail? I've heard stats as high as 80% of them fail. And sure enough, after devoting my heart and soul to helping this church get off the ground, two years we closed it down. It failed. And then, you know, the resiliency of youth, I then went to Lake Zurich to be a part of another group that was starting a church. And I committed myself to three years at that place. It failed. <laughs> And then I thought, hey, let's try it again. You know, third time's a charm. And sure enough, uh, the third church plant worked, and that was the church I served at for 20 years that is still thriving today. And so I look back on that, and I think, should I never have gone into church planning? Should I have said, no, no, I can't go in those scary waters because of the failure? No! We must be okay with failing, or we'll never be courageous people. And you know the cool thing? God has a way of redeeming failure. I look at those church plant failures in my life and I say, wow, I learned so much. So many people were blessed even during those years of struggle. So much good came out of that failure. And I think of the manger. Uh, God redeemed that failure, didn't he? Uh, We treasure the fact that our Savior was born in such humble situation. And God has brought beauty and power out of what Joseph viewed as a failure in those days. So get rid of your fear of failure and just say, Lord, lead me on. And if I crash and burn, if I go to share the good news of Jesus with somebody and tell them of my love for him, and it just is a disaster, so be it. At least I was courageous. If I rise up to go serve with the youth, and it's just a disaster, so be it. At least it was courageous. Courageous, no. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. And that's okay. It's part of the game. All right, next. Now here, if you'll allow me, I'm going to flip a couple books earlier to Matthew. And the reason I do so is there's an event that only Matthew records where Joseph's continued courage is evident. This is in Bethlehem. Jesus has been born already. Uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus are living there probably just long enough for Jesus to get old enough that it's safe for an infant to travel 90 miles back to Nazareth. But look what happens. Verse 13, Matthew 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, Joseph. Take the child Jesus and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod the king is going to search for the child, your son, to kill him. Herod the Great, the king of the Jews, wants to kill your son. You remember Herod found out from the Magi that there was one born king of the Jews, and that was his title. And so Herod started freaking out, and Herod said, let's find out where he's to be born. He discovered in Micah that it was to be in Bethlehem, and he sent soldiers to Bethlehem to murder all the babies in an effort to kill Jesus. And so can you imagine the Scary. I hear poor Joseph was hoping that he could return to Nazareth soon and the the crazy adventure would be over. Not so. (laughs) On to Egypt we go. Why did he go? Well, here, I want to point this out. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. That's the second time an angel of the Lord has appeared to him. Do you recognize those words? The first time was when the angel in a dream told him, marry the girl. Though she's pregnant, it's not that she was unfaithful. It's a miraculous pregnancy, so marry her. I believe that marrying Mary took courage. Joseph knew that the pregnancy was too far along. People would know that she got pregnant before being married, and they'd assume he was promiscuous before marriage, and therefore they would no longer view him as righteous like his reputation had been. But Joseph knew God was calling him to do it, so he did it. And same here. God knew, or Joseph knew God was calling him to do it. God had sent an angel to make it clear. And the point that I'd like to make is this. Courage without calling is folly. You need to be called by God. The reason you should demonstrate courage is you have a sense of what God wants you to do. If you don't think God wants you to do it, that's not courage. It's folly. My wife's cousin went to Pamplona, Spain to run with the bulls. Is that courageous? You know, running down a narrow street with tons of people stampeding and bulls that want to kill you? No, that's stupid. There is a fine line between courageous and stupid. And you know what that fine line is? The will of God. Does God want you to do it? Is he calling you to do it? People who boast about being courageous by running into harm's way when it's nothing to do with what God wants, they're just reckless. Courage comes when there's a sense that this is what God wants me to do and therefore I will step into it. Courage without calling is folly. All right, well, what does Joseph do upon receiving this call to go to Egypt? Let's find out. Verse 14, So Joseph got up. He woke up. He took the child Jesus and his mother during the night, that very night, and left for Egypt. Friends, you got to imagine this moment with me. Joseph goes, Mary, Mary, wake up. And she's been sleeping sound. And he says, Mary, we got to go. What do you mean? Pack your stuff. We need to leave now. Where? Egypt. Another country? Another continent? you want to go to Africa? Why? Mary, the same angel appeared to me in a dream telling me that King Herod, the most feared man in the world, wants to murder our son. Mary's like, let's go. Folks, uh, this moment of courage is really the highest courage yet. I'll tell you why. Let me show you a map. Now, when we look at this, This track from Nazareth to Bethlehem, that had the danger of wild animals and bandits. Well, this track from Bethlehem down to Egypt has the animals and bandits plus, more danger, plus soldiers, Roman soldiers under Herod's command who know the assignment, kill the baby Messiah. And so they would have had to avoid those soldiers like crazy. In addition, there is a desert in this area that made travel very hazardous. You had the heat of the desert sun and the lack of water to drink and the sandstorms that were so vicious. And so I, I think I see a progression of courage in Joseph's life. It was in Nazareth that the Lord said, marry the girl, even though they think you were sleeping around before merrier, and he did it. And then God said, I want you to travel to Bethlehem, which is scary because of beast and bandit. But he did it. And now God says, even more this time. Do you see the need to grow in courage with each step? And that's, that's how it works. In fact, let me put this point, next slide. Courage grows when it's used. You demonstrate courage a little bit, And you get stronger to demonstrate more courage the next time. It's like lifting weights. You know, the more you use the muscle, the stronger it gets. That's what courage is like. You start with little expressions of courage. And I step out of my comfort zone and I befriend someone far from the Lord. And I'm a little more courage next time to initiate a great conversation with them. A little more courage next time to lead some ministry at church. And courage cowards become courageous little by little as they venture outside the comfort zone according to the call of God in their lives. I'll use myself as an example. I am more cowardly than all of you, naturally. Um, We can argue that point, but I will tell you I know myself. And yet, God's growing my courage these days as evidenced by this week. This week. I uh, Do you know what's this week? Uh, Christmas is coming up. And uh, we have like a zillion services i 'm going to be I get to preach eleven times live i 'm going to be at Bolingbroke on ninety fifth for a service at each campus and hops in a week and uh, the Christmas Eve services scare me to death i 'll tell you why uh, uh, there 's just heightened importance and expectation i 've had people already tell me hey i 'm being courageous i 've invited my neighbor to church and they 're coming i 've invited family members to church and they 're coming. And then they got that look in their eye like, Pastor, don't screw it up. I've gone way out on a limb. It better be good. And, and, and not just good as in like any normal week, like a whole other level. It's Christmas, you know. And I feel the heightened expectation. And that, as a young preacher, I used to have panic attacks every Christmas, the, the focus and the importance of this moment for the kingdom of God used to crush me. No longer. I'm not feeling that. I mean, I'm scared enough to be on my knees, and I think that's important, but I'm not panicked like I used to be, and I think part of why that courage is growing in me is because I've seen God be faithful in this moment so many times in the past. It gives me hope for the future. The other thing is I've crashed and burned on Christmas Eve sermons before, and it wasn't the end of the world. I can think of some really bad ones. Ew. Pray that that doesn't happen this week, would you? <laughs> but life goes on, and failure is not the end of the world. And so the result of this knowledge and this experience is that I'm charging into this week without fear crippling me with a measure of courage that I didn't have when I was younger. Courage can be built. The cowards can become courageous by step by step, venturing as the Lord leads out into the open seas and leaving the harbor, as he calls. So let's review our four points that we've learned so far about courage. If you want to hold the pen in your hand and write your own story and stay in the comfort zone, you can do that. Your life will be guaranteed to be mediocre But if you want to give the pen to God and say, your plan, know this, God's plan will require courage. Courage requires a willingness to fail. You got to say, hey, if if I crash and burn, I'm okay with that. Courage without calling is folly. I got to know, Lord, that this is what you want me to do. I have to have a sense that this is your calling. And courage grows when it's used. And I want to give you one last principle, and that has to do with how do I demonstrate courage? Is there a practical way that I can be more courageous? And there is. It comes out of, or it comes out of many passages. One of my favorite is Joshua 1.9. Remember this verse? It says, be strong and courageous. Mm. Don't be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you see the connection between courage and the presence of God? This be strong and courageous is found many times in our Bible. I challenge you to look them all up. When you see that challenge, you always find because God will be with you wherever you go that's the key. It's the knowledge that God is with you. It's you looking out at the ocean saying, all right, I'll leave the harbor if you're calling me, but you better be in the boat. You better be there to guide and provide and give me strength when I need it and give me encouragement and lift me up when I fail. I need you out there with me. And God says, I will be there. And it's confidence in his companionship that gives you courage. I saw this illustrated in a parable sort of way so powerfully back at Thanksgiving. My brother from California came in with his four kids, and so all of the extended family got together, and we were trying to think of something fun to do, and I don't know who suggested it first, but someone said, let's do iFly. Do you know what iFly is? Someone was like, no, don't do it. It's indoor skydiving, all right? And there's this like wind tunnel and this fan that lifts you up in the air. and I was so excited. I did it! We all did it. We put on these goofy monkey suits and we floated. I, at first, my first flight was just three feet off the ground. Not very impressive. But it was enough for me to learn as I, flo- f- I flew three feet off the ground. I have absolutely no control whatsoever. You see, there was an instructor named Alex who was in with me, and every time I started to spin, and I would do a lot, he'd grab me and steady me. Every time I'd start crashing into the glass, which I couldn't stop, he would grab me and save me. After that turn, Alex said, For 10 more dollars, you can go again, only this time fly high up. The tube goes 42 feet up into the air. What would you have said? I said, let's do it! And you say, Jeff, what gave you courage when you know you can't control yourself at three feet? I'll tell you what gave me courage. Alex said, I promise I will have a firm grip on you the whole time, and I will keep you safe. And I'm like, Alex, look at me. I'm trusting you. (laughs) Would you like to see? I actually have video. My wife grabbed her phone and shot video of of, uh, Pastor flying. Woo! How about that, huh? And that's Alex. Alex is actually a professional. He competes in indoor skydiving. And here he grabs my leg and he grabs my arm and he says, Jeff, you ready? Let's do this thing. And together we flew ah, up into the air. I am not controlling myself at all. Alex is bending his legs. He knows how to do these subtle movements. If I were on my own, I'd be bouncing around like a bug in a vacuum cleaner right now. But because Alex is in control, I am having a wonderful time. If it were not for him, it would be ugly. I'd shoot up, boom, 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 boom. I mean, it would have been all over. I was at peace because I felt the firm grip he had on me. I had a blast because of him, because of him. It was a great experience. So, Uh, Oh, don't clap. Don't clap for me. Alex. Woo, Alex. Nice job. That's the Christian life. Jesus is saying, do you want to go again? And this time, let's leave your comfort zone and let's soar. And we're like, oh, Lord, I don't think I know how to soar. He's like, you don't. I know. But I'll be with you. Jesus says, I will have a firm grip on your life. I promise you I'll be right by your side and I will provide what you lack. Will you do it with me? And it's because we know he is there that we say, all right, let's do this thing. And together we soar. What gives us courage? Confidence that God is real, that he has called us, invited us, and that he is by our side every step of the way. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just want to thank you for your promise to be with us every step of the way. That's a game changer for us, Lord. It's a game changer. And because of that promise, God, make us courageous. Too many of us have been living in the harbor, chugging around in our comfort zone, destined for mediocrity. No! God, give us courage for our remaining days. Speak, call, invite us on missions that scare us. And help us hold your hands and walk forward as you lead. And God, we give you our lives. We don't want to write our story. We want you to write our story. So take our lives and lead us on the adventure you have in mind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, this song we're about to sing provides us an opportunity to say, take my life. I could hold on to my life and write my own story and just kind of stay in the comfort zone, but I don't want to do that. I want you to write my story, so take my life. I surrender it to you. Will you stand so we can sing?